Good morning. I'm Jacob Alloy, and you're listening to NPR News. Glad you could join us today. With me is co-host arts reporter Alex V. Sapoli. For generations, humankind has enjoyed telling stories that send a chill down the spine. From the spirits of Europe to Sleepy Hollow to stories told on Reddit and Twitter, there's something special about sharing that moment of fear or excitement with people. So today, Alex and I are looking at why we love to tell these tales, where our favorite stories come from, and why this time of year gets us in the mood for scary stories. And we want to hear your personal ghost stories and scary tales as well. Have you had a ghostly encounter? Have any stories been passed down through your families or circled in your friend groups? Do you remember the first one you were told? Do you have any folk tales that give you goosebumps? The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Joining me as a co-host for this hour is Alex Fisapoli. You've heard her on our airwaves and read her work on our website as our senior arts reporter and critic. You may have also read her work in the New York Times, where she is a contributor. Glad to be sharing the host chair with you today, Alex. Thank you so much. It's, uh, It's a real pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Jacob. Happy to be here. Happy early Halloween. Uh, Yes, early Halloween indeed. Let's bring (laughs) in our guests. Naomi Kritzer is a uh, science fiction and fantasy writer based in St. Paul, Minnesota, with over 20 years experience. She's won a Hugo and Locus Award at the Minnesota Book Award and has been nominated for the Nebula Award a number of times. Her work focuses on the otherworldly and the supernatural. Her novels include Catfishing on Catnet and its sequel, Chaos on Catnet. So glad to have you today. It's a pleasure to, to have you in studio. I'm delighted to be here. And Anatoly Lieberman is a professor in the German, Nordic, Slavic, and Dutch department at the University of Minnesota. He teaches courses in folklore, linguistics, and culture. Some of his published work includes In Prayer and Laughter, essays on medieval Scandinavian and Germanic uh, mythology. And he's studied the origins of some spooky words for us. More on that later. Good morning, Professor. Glad to have you in studio today. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Fabulous. Well, uh, let's start. Um, let's start by just uh, getting to know our guests a little bit better. So, Naima, let's let's start with you. You've been a writer for a while. Yeah. Uh, what got you into writing in the first place, and why did you choose to focus in on on fantasy and, and science fiction? I uh, I've always loved stories. I've loved reading. Is you know. From, a, from an early age and loved telling stories from an early age. Um, originally, when I would tell stories, it would it would be in the context of a of playing with friends where you you all pretend something together. But eventually, all my peers outgrew that, and so at that <laughs> point, I started writing stories down. Um, but uh, I I also. Um, Found out. I found out as an adult that I, when I would walk to school with my uh, little sister, I would, I would tell her a story as we walked just to entertain myself. And I, I found out years later that my sister just assumed that that was sort of what big sisters did. That 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 like part of the job of a big sister was to tell you stories. And she was really surprised when she found out that didn't come standard. So, uh, I've always also just loved uh, science fiction and fantasy from as far back as I can remember. I. Um, I loved fairy tales. I loved uh, Star Wars, which I saw when I was four. Um, I just I've always loved um, I've always loved stories about magic um, and stories about worlds that are different from ours. Mm. That's so great. Um, Have you do you remember any of your earliest like spooky stories or fairy tales Um, like that I heard or that I told? Both. Let's start with what you heard first. What I heard. So what I remember, I, what the, some of the 
what I the the ghost some some ghost stories that I remember really vividly from my childhood. Um, my parents got a magazine called Wisconsin Trails, um, oh. and uh, they did a special issue one time that was like wall to wall ghost stories. Um, all of which told by people who lived in Wisconsin. That was the thread through the magazine. And I was obsessed with rereading that issue, and it terrified me. Um, because these were these were ghost stories. I remember there was one that was a, a family that had a ghost that would, like, levitate things. And uh, it, like, levitated a knife and pointed it at someone, which was really just Oof. frightening, mm. really frightening to me. And I, I, I couldn't. Every time I would see it, I would pick it up and read it again. It was like this sort of, I I was I found it really scary, but also couldn't tear myself away. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I don't remember telling um, a whole lot of spooky stories as a kid. I tended to be more oriented towards adventure and things like that. Um, I'm curious, you know, Professor Lieberman, you're a linguist. You teach folklore, of course, as well. That's right. So what is it about the power of, like, storytelling, right, like folklore, um, and what drew you into wanting to study it and teach it now at the university level? I think it's easier to answer the second question. Uh, people have always been interested in folklore, and those uh, t- uh, courses that I teach have always attracted many students, and I teach a course in German folklore and in Scandinavian folklore. Uh, so students come out of what you might call idle curiosity, because they love stories, <laughs> and I love telling stories, and it's always a pleasure. And stories have been around for millennia, forever. As long as we have existed on this earth, people have been telling stories, and their attraction is undying. We're very rational people now. We don't believe in ghosts, and we love them. Uh, and we may be slightly frightened, but only pretend. To be, to be frightened. Mm. So that goes back to our very old days when people couldn't distinguish clearly between what is natural and what is supernatural. They were surrounded by hostile forces, uh, diseases, nightmares, and they believed that there were spirits all over the place. And of course, they invented their gods, too, who controlled their destiny. And naturally, when you have such a thick population of spirits and gods, you will have stories, tales uh, dealing with them. So these stories are perennial. And what is so obvious to us, this is natural, this is supernatural. This is only our point of view. Not too long ago, it was quite different, when there was no clear line between what is invented and what is real. Mm. And even we today... Uh, We believe in so many things which we don't see. For example, has anyone seen a virus? No, but we know that viruses exist, and there may be all kinds of stories if you want about viruses. But that's just by way of adding something uh, for dessert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we want to get to your calls as well. But uh, to kick off our conversation about ghosts, schools, goblins, monsters, we spoke with Minnesota horror writer Ben Percy, and he gave his two cents on why we love horror and why he loves to write it. Let's first make something clear. Halloween is not a day. It is a month. The greatest moment of anticipation I have all year is September 30th, when we're about to open up the creaky coffin of October. And all month long, I'm reading and watching nothing but horror. I'm 
racing through pumpkin patches and visiting haunted houses and just settling into a kind of vibe, shadow-soaked vibe. If you are writing fiction, if you are writing for audio, you are writing something that doesn't fill in all the blanks for the audience. They're forced as a result to lean forward and fill in those gaps. They become complicit in the experience. They become co-creators. And as a result, things can be that much more terrifying because they're conjured in the mind of the reader. If you think about this most terrifying moment in any horror story, it's this. Somebody hears something. They hear something behind a door. They hear something in the corner of the basement. They hear something around the bend of a cave, and they approach it. And maybe their hand goes towards that doorknob, and they wrap their hand around it. And it's then, it's right then, before they turn the knob and yank open the door, when you feel the greatest spike of fear because whatever is on the other side of that door that the author or the filmmaker shows us is not going to be as scary as whatever you're anticipating. We live in frightening times. If you look at the headlines right now, you see we are at war in Ukraine, in Israel-Palestine. If you look at the news, you see wildfires raging and hurricanes pounding coastlines. You see news of bird flu and spin-off variants of COVID and political chaos and, and, and. It's unsettling and you feel as though there's nothing you can do. But horror offers you a unique opportunity if you Pick up that novel by Stephen King. If you watch that film by Ty West, if you explore that haunted house or share a scary story with a flashlight to your face, what you're doing is daring the nightmare. And you know that you are going to emerge out the other side okay, unscathed. And so I think that horror offers a cathartic experience and a kind of rehearsal for whatever calamities and monstrosities we might face in this life. That was horror writer Ben Percy on his love for Halloween and telling chilling tales. Um, So in the spirit of talking about scary stories, um, Naomi, I want to ask you a question. You... You've written a short story about the kinds of ghost stories people like to tell, and you break them down into two categories. So can you just tell us a little bit about that short story you wrote, your own musings on the ghost story, and then kind of how you break down these different kinds of ghost stories that people might tell? Sure. Uh, The story is called The Thing About Ghost Stories. That's the title. Um, And it was published online um, in a magazine called Uncanny um, some years back, back in 2018, I think. Uh, so it's free online if people want to look it up. And uh, the um, the story breaks down. There's sort of two types of ghost stories. There's there's campfire stories, which are like 
the creepy stories that have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and usually a twist. Mm -hmm. Um, So The Vanishing Hitchhiker is a classic example of this because you have a beginning, person's driving, um, they they pick up a hitchhiker, a middle, the hitchhiker says a bunch of stuff that's like inexplicable or weird, weird. and then the end is the hitchhiker's vanish, vanishes from the back seat. And this is a, this is a classic, classic urban legend, classic urban legend, classic enough that there's a, there's a collection of urban legends called the vanishing hitchhiker. Um, and it's a, hmm. it's a, it's not a ghost story. It's a, it's a different kind of story, but it is a creepy story that you might hear told around the campfire. The, the story of the, you know, the, the, the hook hand left on the side of the car door. Like there's a lot of stories like that that are designed to be scary. Sometimes you, you tell them at a, you know, if you're telling them with like a, a scout troop, somebody goes around to the back and sneaks up behind you in the woods to go bah and startle <laughs> everybody and make everybody scream. Um, that's one kind of ghost story. And then the other kind of ghost story is the, is the sort of story where somebody describes an experience they've had that they can't explain. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. these stories are like usually not really structured like a classic story. They don't really have a conclusion. Um, they're just sort of like this really weird thing happened. I can't explain it. You know, I saw this thing. It was really creepy. Um, or I used to live in this house where this weird stuff happened. And then we moved like it doesn't have a it doesn't necessarily have sort of the structure that we expect from like the sort of story that we consider a story. But there's no resolution. There's no resolution. And those sorts of stories, um, lots of people have stories like that. And sometimes when you get into a. Uh, a social situation where people start swapping them, they, they, that can be really fun. And you often see that around Halloween um, because it's, you know, tis the season. Um, but there, uh, the, those stories, those sorts of stories, um, you know, uh, th- there's, there's overlap. There's overlap because you'll, especially with like um, creepypasta on Reddit, you'll see a lot of mm. stuff that's, that's <clears throat> presented as a, like a real life ghost story, but like a lot of it, a lot of it is is made up, you know. It's but it's constructed. It's constructed to be in sort of this this border, but you know this this gray area, this overlap between the two types of stories. Well, that's interesting because we actually have a caller, Peggy in uh, Jordan. Uh, good morning, Peggy. You have a ghost story that you'd like to share with uh, with our guests and with us today. Yes. Um, so I, for 17 years, I owned the little business called French Antiques and I, um, I had all kinds of customers and, you know, people that I met throughout the years. And, um, I met a, my, my tax accountant who gradually became a close friend from meeting once a year and kind of going over what had, what we did through. And we had some common, um, problems with family members that were really difficult and we just built up um it was almost like a, a confessional when we would when we would meet because we ended up having quite a bit in common and then i um, got out of that business and i bought um spring street tavern in northeast minneapolis and i didn't know which what way that was going to go so i invited a bunch of my best favorite customers from my other business and we had a little party and um was pretty busy. A lot of people came and through the door came my tax account. And I thought, oh, how, how wonderful that she came, you know. And then I was kind of busy with everyone else. I didn't really have a chance to connect with her. And then about a week or two later, I saw her daughter in the grocery store. And I said, 
it was really nice of your mom to come to my party, um, you know, the other night. And her daughter told me, my mom's been dead for four months. Mm. Wow. So mm. I think when you really do go through something like that in person, you, you know that it there is something else going on other than our normal life. I mean, to, you know, it's real. Mm. So mm. I just want, I want to put that out there that it, it really is, it really is real. Well, thank you so much, Peggy. I really appreciate you calling in with your story. And it's interesting because that kind of connects to that that's that kind of second uh, version that you were talking about, mm-hmm. Naomi, right? That second kind of, yeah. you know, that story of we have a personal experience, right, in one way mm-hmm. or another. I'm curious, um, uh, Professor Lieberman, in, you know, in kind of folklore, what would, what would, what would prompt somebody to have one of those kinds of experiences where they share this story where they're like, well, I... Is it is it does it have something to do with like you know seeing something they can't quite explain right and like having to like creating a story or a narrative around that what's the what's the kind of historic reason why those kinds of stories pop up well I think that some of the answers are very obvious uh, for example people believed in haunted houses and those of us who have read Huckleberry Finn remember that and Tom Sawyer remember that Tom and Tom and Huck really found found such a house. Uh, and did find a treasure because this is one of Mark Twain's great jokes. Mm. Uh, you think that you will find something, and of course nobody nobody ever finds anything. But those two guys did find <laughs> right. find find treasures. Uh, and the line separating our natural world and supernatural the supernatural world is so thin and so easy easy to cross. People believed in ghosts, and those ghosts came and they found them. Sometimes they. Uh, kept them in the closet, so to speak. Sometimes they allowed them to come out, uh, depending on the situation. Uh, but in the past, as I said a few minutes ago, when you asked me your first question, mm. uh, there was no line that separated the fabulous from the real. And everybody saw a ghost, and you would not be surprised. It's like hearsay. Uh, they believed that such ghosts exist, and exist, and they found them, they saw them, they spoke to them, uh, and believed in nightmares, especially because they had those supernatural experiences. So that belief is perennial. Mm. You don't need any deep psychological roots in it. When you believe that there is that there is a force somewhere up there controlling your fate, it's not very difficult to invent a story about those who do control your fate. And that's why you have so many words. Well, take something very easy. Uh, uh, everybody around me here in this room is probably too young to know uh, what <laughs> lumbago means. Thank you. Uh, it's a terrible <laughs> disease when you bend and suddenly you find out that you cannot unbend yourself. Mm. How is it? How is it? How does it happen? Very clearly. Uh, there was a creature up there and shot an arrow and the and the arrow is in your back. Uh, there is a special word for it. Germans call it witch's shot. Uh, oh. And others call it, in English, that's the word which very few people remember, it was called an elf shot because mm. elves were believed to be malicious and, and did it. If you believe that every disease is called by some evil spirit, no trouble. And everything is controlled by the forces beyond your control. And once you think that this is so, then stories will be the most natural thing in the world. Mm. Everybody has seen a ghost. Everybody can tell 
a neighbor. Yes, I've seen a ghost, and there is a story. Uh, it has been going on for millennia. And now, of course, our interest in these stories is purely antiquarian. We don't believe that there is someone who, an elf, who will cause a disease. <laughs> who will shoot that arrow. That An arrow. We'll yeah. probably go to a doctor and, and take an antibiotic or something or, a, or, <laughs> on a, or, a, or some other medication. But the stories have never lost uh, their charm. And they do not depend on our personal experience. We mm. simply love those stories for their own sake. Mm. You know what I find interesting is, you know, as information has become more accessible and superstition has faded, I think that there are definitely people that believe in ghost stories still. Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, so oh. what what purpose do you think that serves still? Well, if you believe in something, it's a very tricky subject. It's like any religion. Uh, some people believe in God. Some people don't believe in God. And there is no way of uh, arguing over such things or dissuading people or persuading people. If people believe that there are ghosts, well, let them believe that there are ghosts. That's fine with with all of us. We're so tolerant nowadays. Uh, unless people are really silly and and cause us trouble, uh, we allow them to believe what they want to believe. But since these stories are so old and go back to such hoary antiquity, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that they have survived, especially in our mundane world in which Really, very few exciting things happen. It's nice to have that additional portion of excitement uh, to to believe in something, even if somewhere we somewhere in the depths of our mind we know that it's not really true. But who knows what is true and what is not? It depends on one's individual experience, on one's psyche, on one's psychology. Let people believe in ghosts if they want to believe in them. Mm. Uh, we, of course, want you to join our conversation. So if you have a, a ghostly encounter of your own kind, a ghost story you'd like to share, questions about ghost stories, phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. But before we get back into our conversation, we want to play a short piece about ghost stories. Joe Williams is the director of Indigenous Programs at the Plains Art Museum in Fargo and an enrolled member of the Sisseton Wapitan Oyache tribe in South Dakota. Williams also loves ghost stories. He started the museum's podcast Five Plain Questions a few years back, which poses five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, leaders, and culture bearers. They have included Chef Sean Sherman and actor Dallas Goldtooth of Reservation Dogs. Williams decided to start asking his guests an unofficial sixth question, if they have any personal ghost stories to share. Mo said yes, and now he compiles those stories into his annual Halloween episode, Five Scary Questions. Alex Visapoli spoke with him about scary stories and the guest tales featured in the Halloween's episode. I do get a lot of joy out of the Halloween season. I definitely like sort of the stories and the lore that are out there. And growing up on a reservation, so I, I grew up in the Sisseton Wapitan uh, Oyate in South Dakota, and we all experienced something, either in our homes or out in the country, you know, somewhere. There's always uh, something that we've all experienced. And I've always heard really great stories. I'm friends with some of the guests on the podcast. They've shared stories with me in the past, which were fantastic, and I wanted to be able to capture those. I think Native Americans in general are are very 
tuned into their culture and spiritual ways attached to their culture. And so they're very open to the idea of sort of an afterlife being present in our everyday lives. There's this thin veil between this and the other side. I think that's sort of a general theme across the different cultures of Native America. But also, too, I think, you know, we're products of the 20th and 21st century. You know, all of us at this point now were raised on television, you know, so we're we're big on scary stories anyway. It's just like everyone else. And so when something unusual happens that we can't explain, we get excited about that because it's like, oh, that's happening to me, too. You know, because all of these stories that the guests have shared are not unlike stories that everyone else experiences or who, who believes in this stuff. You know, I, I think there is a combination of cultural connection and being open to something that's more than just physical. So Whitney Johnson, she is a public health official here in Fargo. Johnson's story is the old story about like the man with the hook trying to get in the car story. One of the older girls tried to reach for the door handle and was going to get out. She said, no, don't open the door, don't open the door. This is very much in line with the story that you hear across um, reservations uh, across the U.S. You know, the person trying to get in the car or trying to get into the house. And when you finally get outside to see what's going on, there's evidence that someone may have been there, but it's unlikely that anyone was. Bobby Wilson, who's uh, one of the, the 1491s, the comedian, you know, his story is definitely the ghost in the photograph, the ghost in the shadows watching over you. Look down the ledge. Mississippi's way down there, bro. Man, up high. But I've been on this bridge my whole life. You know, I'm not scared of it. So I was like, okay, I'm just tripping. I'm just seeing things. Go back to painting. And then it happens again a little bit time later. Slow shadow goes by like this. Bobby is such such an amazing storyteller. And he's able to sort of build the suspense as, as we go along. And so it's a joy to listen to that story for sure. There's always sort of lessons to be learned in the stories that we share with each other. And I think, you know, so often scary stories are tied with tragic events that happened in the past. And so I think there's always sort of, there's these lessons of consequences and there's lessons of living dangerously or making poor choices somewhere within those, within those stories, you know, beyond sort of the the flash and scare of of what these are, there are lessons to be learned. So much of traditional Native American stories are, are tied to lessons to be learned, but so are traditional stories that Europeans had, you know, with fables, you know, and I think there is a general theme overall with how we share stories and lessons drawn from those stories. That was Joe Williams, host of Five Plain Questions. His Halloween episode is out now. If you have ghost stories of your own or questions about why we tell ghost stories, you can call in. Call us at 651-227-6000. I'm Jacob Alloy and for Angela Davis with co-host Alex Visapoli. And I want to bring back in our guests. Anatoly Lieberman is a professor at the University of Minnesota. He is a linguist and teaches co- courses in folklore. And Naomi Kritzer is a award-winning fantasy and science fiction author. Um, so, Alex, you brought up a question that you wanted to you wanted to pose to uh, to. to our guests. Absolutely. Uh, Professor Professor Lieberman, you are also a linguist, and I heard that you know the origins of some of these spooky words that we use so often. Um, Jacob shared with me that one of these words is revenant. Can you tell us the origins of this word? Well, some of the words that uh, you know and you want to know something about are very easy. 
Some are very difficult, and nobody knows where where they came from. Revenant happens to be a very easy word, because you can almost hear its origin. It has a prefix re, as in re, open, re, read, rewrite, and venant, revenant, venant, is the same, has the same root as the word venue, or avenue, and goes back to a Old word, it's a Latin word, and then French word, meaning to go, uh, so or come. Uh, so a revenant is someone who has come back, and uh, this is. And um, in many languages, there are special words uh, for a revenant. Revenant is such a bookish Latin word, really, <laughs> for an apparition. Uh, apparition, of course, is also a very bookish word. Uh, Icelanders, uh, medieval Icelanders, who knew a lot about ghosts and about revenants, had a special word, uh, which which was draugur. And in one of the most famous sagas, the saga of Grettir, uh, there is a scene which absolutely everybody knows in the north, how Grettir fights a revenant, uh, someone who is, that's the word for it, undead. He was He was dead. He was buried, but not quite buried, so he came back and works havoc everywhere. To kill him is very difficult because he has already been killed, so to speak, and to kill someone who is dead is much more difficult than to kill someone who is alive. Uh, <laughs> so there are all kinds of such words. Some of them are easy to explain, like revenant, about which you asked me. Some of them are obscure, which is the same thing uh, with all other words in the world. Some words are clear etymologically, that is from the point of view of their origin, and some are hopelessly obscure. And dictionaries uh, very often say something very sweet, origin uncertain or debatable, uh, which means that nobody really knows what the origin of the word is. Revenant that you asked me about is a happy find. I know the origin and you can almost hear it. Hmm. Is there any other words? Yeah, that you want, like I mean, I've got like a whole book full of words I'd love to know about. But you're talking about revenant uh, apparition. What about ghost? Well, ghost is also an easy word, but you can't hear its origin as easily as you can hear the origin of revenant. Ghost is the same word as the German word Geist, and it means spirit. Uh, and spirit, and a spirit is a spirit. Uh, the funny thing about the word ghost. Ghost is that it has its G-H at the beginning. Because the word was introduced with the spelling in the 16th century uh, by a man called William Caxton, a famous printer in the history of England. And he spent some of his years as an apprentice uh, in Holland, in the Netherlands, where the spelling G-H is common. So he introduced the Dutch spelling to this word, and unfortunately, with our crazy English spelling, we still have this G-H at the beginning, uh, <laughs> though it is not ghost, it's not host, and it's certainly not ghost. Uh, so this, go this ghost is a Dutch spelling of a word meaning spirit. Well, in spirits, a spirit is a spirit. Hmm. We, um, it's interesting. I, I, I want to get back to this conversation about etymology and things, but I do want to take a, um, take a listen to some audio that was sent in to us. We had a voice memo sent in from, uh, Jana Roach. She's the creator of a fictional podcast called The Creepy Quadrant. And this is her story about why she loves ghost stories herself. When I was little, I came home from school to find that my mom had prepared the perfect October evening of activities for me. Pumpkins for carving 
and a cassette tape. I popped in the tape and got to work on my pumpkins. As I scooped out the slimy guts, considering if I should give my jack-o'-lantern a straight mouth or jagged teeth, I became completely lost in one of the most effective scary stories ever told. The original Orson Welles' War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Strange meteoric activity, alien invaders, utter chaos. All told, as if this were not a story, but a news report. Infamous for causing some very real panic for its original listeners, this radio play is a fantastic piece of fiction. He destroyed the world before my very ears, and in the end, told me he didn't mean it. I was in love. Fiction. Humanity's way of processing and understanding the world around it and our experiences within it. Really, we only have one way of understanding reality, and that's our perceptions. If we perceive the stories that we hear, are they, in a sense, real? I think so. Mm, that was uh, Jana Roach. She's the creator of the fictional podcast, The Creepy Quadrant. I think there's a special coming out on Halloween. Uh, Naomi, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about stories on like Reddit and mm -hmm. Twitter, Tumblr, things like that. And you know, obviously today is a major anniversary for the uh, for the War of the Worlds. I think it was the. Do you remember, Alex, what year it is? It's the. Ooh, it's probably going on like seventy five. It's, it's like or one 80. of the one of the. It's, it's a huge years. moment, right? Yeah. And I'm just curious. It was kind of the original one of these original kind of creepypastas, right? So could you explain yeah. a little bit what a creepypasta is and then what kind of community has sprung up around these kind of spooky tales? So creepypasta is, uh, is as I understand it, and I'm not an expert, is um, there's stories that are told on the internet um, that are presented as if they were real, um, but are in fact fiction that were, was made up in it to, to be, you know, to be creepy, to be scary. Um, and, uh, there's, um, the, the one that, um, the one that's really stuck with me for some reason was a, a series. It's often, um, a lot of internet stuff like this is, you know, happens communally. So one person will introduce a story and then other people will chime in with similar stories. So there's a lot of imp um, improvisational yes and um, that happens in text um, th through through the medium of a um, of a Reddit subreddit or uh, a Twitter thread or whatever. Um, but one of the ones that stuck with me um, was somebody who said that they were from they they were an employee of uh, the Park Service, and when they would go back into like very remote areas, sometimes they would find a staircase, just a staircase, nothing so else around it. And when they asked about the staircase, their um, their boss was like, "Oh, we don't talk about those." And uh, so wow. then they were like, "So does anybody else anybody else who worked for the Park Service or who's been back in the woods seen something like this?" And then people chimed in with their own versions, and you know, like the the, the stories, you know. Included, you know, somebody who'd gone up a staircase and either disappeared or lost their mind. And then there is stories about, you know, what happens if you take one of these staircases out, if you destroy it, and how bad that is, and the different materials that are used. And it just got, you know, it got creepier and creepier and more and more convoluted. And there's there's a lot of stuff like this online where it's just people 
people cooperating to tell a, like a large scale story. Um, and I love it. I love stuff like this. <laughs> well, that speaks to the kind of storytelling and something that Professor Lieberman was speaking about earlier, right? That ability to have those stories that you then can share with people and, and coalesce around the campfire or under the bedsheets with the, with the, with the flashlight, right? right. Um, yeah, uh, just, just a fascinating, uh, just a fascinating, um, uh, a set of stories and, and things that we can do. And we actually want to hear another story. There's Kelly from Minneapolis who has a story about, as I understand it, living in a haunted house or formerly living in a haunted house. Kelly, could you tell us that story? Hello. Hi, Naomi. Nice Hi, to hear your voice. <laughs> okay, so I live in a house that used to be haunted and is not anymore, and I'm actually a little sad about it. Uh, I am. We had a ghost in this house that I'm pretty sure was named Evelyn, and I'm not sure why I feel like her name was Evelyn, but she kind of had a Evelyn vibe about her. And um, I never saw her. Uh, and I never heard of her either. But what I could do is smell her. Uh, and there was this distinctive smell of Aquanet. Uh, such a specific smell. I myself have never purchased Aquanet. Uh, and, um, but I would smell it in different places of the, of the house at different times. And, um, and every time I would just thought, oh, it's Evelyn. She's back. Uh, the other thing that Evelyn did was um, fold the laundry. Now, we live in this house in South Minneapolis, and it's this old uh, bungalow, and that was like in desperate need of repair when we purchased, when we purchased it. And so it was this sort of constant project. And I would smell Evelyn in different parts of the house, but mostly I smelled her in the basement. Uh, the basement was this like just disaster area uh, that really only went down there to move the laundry, and that was it. And um, and I would go down there, and in different parts of the of the basement, I would smell aquanet. And sometimes the laundry would be folded. Um, I would go downstairs, and the laundry would be folded in one tall stack. Not the way I would fold the laundry, because I would do it in piles, and also I wouldn't do it in the basement, because the basement was creepy. But I would come downstairs, and there was the laundry folded all all and all together in one stack that I would take upstairs and uh, and distribute. And you know, I appreciated it. I really did. I had little tiny kids, and like we were just in this you know chaos, and you, you just feel so desperate as a young mother. And so I would just say thank you, Evelyn, and take it upstairs. <laughs> and uh, and then one day we decided to turn the basement into a family room. And my husband and I were downstairs instead of making plans and talking about what would go where and what we would need and what the timeline is. And I smelled the smell of Aquanet and I swear to God, I heard a voice like just like really quiet, like just barely in my hearing that was, oh, I don't think so. Mm. And that was it. She was gone. Mm. She, I think, did not want to be in a project. <laughs> so that's what I have to do my laundry all by myself. Well, I mean, I could have the children do it, but whatever. Anyway, that's, that's my ghost story. We live in a formerly haunted house. Well, thank um, you. Thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing that story. I really appreciate it. And we actually have another caller, uh, Wes, um, who has done some research in the psych to the psychology of things uh, around and has done some ghost story uh, telling. So, Wes, uh, what did you want to say about uh, this uh, this um, research you've done into the psychology and collecting ghost stories? 
Yeah, so um, thanks for letting me call in. Um, it's great to hear these stories. Um, I did my dissertation at the University of Minnesota in literature, but it was on psychical research, which is researched mm. into unexplained phenomena. And the, one of the best stories I ran into, uh, one of my favorites, was about two women in 1901 uh, named um, Eleanor Jourdain and Charlotte Ann Moberly, and they were walking around the... Um, walking around Versailles, and particularly the, the part of Versailles that was Marie Antoinette's uh, Petit Trianon. And they then later um, talked about their feelings of, of the people they saw who were in weird costumes, and they had these really haunted feelings they felt like. And then they published a book in 1911 called An Adventure, and it was referred to as the Moberly-Jordain incident, where in the book they claim that while they were walking around, they saw these buildings that no longer existed, um, and they saw these people in 18th century garb um, speaking with weird accents, and that they're, uh, the, they present all this evidence, and they believe that they time-traveled into Marie Antoinette's memory and saw things as Marie Antoinette and felt her feelings. And it's a really fascinating book, a really fascinating story about not just kind of ghosts, but that Marie Antoinette's feelings of being um, imprisoned and captured would um, transfer to other people and kind of uh, haunt this space that people could walk into. And uh, anyway, it's just a really great story. You can all go out and look up uh, uh, Moberly Jourdain incident. And uh, it was what launched me on researching a lot of psychical research and, and ghosts. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Wes, for sharing your ghost story. I appreciate you for uh, calling in with all of that information. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts on what those callers shared? Any, 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 any? Well, I, I, any thoughts about you know this kind of uh, this kind of these kinds of stories in general around this time of year? I mean, what about fall and winter makes us want to tell these kinds of stories? Is there's any insight from either Professor Lieberman or from? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, <clears throat> I'm not sure that I'm answering your question, but I have only one ghost story that I have experienced in my life, mm. and. In a professor's life, ghosts usually don't appear. Uh, and yet, <laughs> this is what happened. I was teaching a course um, on folklore, and on the floor above us, at the university, of course, uh, at the University of Minnesota in, in, in Minneapolis, we heard a lot of noise above us, with chairs moving and moving and moving, and it was very irritating. Nobody could, could hear me. So one of the students volunteered to go up there and to find out who was moving chairs and why. So she opened the door, the room was absolutely empty, and there was absolutely no one there. Uh, she came back uh, embarrassed and said, I really don't know what to say, there's no one there. The moment she said it, the chairs began to move again. So I assumed that there were ghosts there in the room, and that they enjoyed my lecture, and they <laughs> expressed their enjoyment by moving chairs. She went up there, absolutely dark, no ghosts, and all the chairs in exactly where they were supposed to stand. I'm sorry, that's the only story, ghost story in my life, but I've never found out who moved those chairs and what, who those ghosts were. But apparently they wanted to enroll in the course and were denied the pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Neymar? Do you have any stories that stick with you that, uh, you know, 
phenomena that you're like, hmm, I wonder, <laughs> wonder what that was all about. Well, I, I also had a, a very, um, a very small ghost encounter um, as a child. I saw, um, I saw a ghost one morning as I was getting dressed for the day. Just this little wisp of white cloud that floated by and then disappeared. And um, what I, what surprised me was years later finding out that my mother had believed me when I talked about it because uh, she said when when she when we discussed it you know many years later she said well you were you were imaginative but you also knew the difference between real and pretend mm-hmm. and you were very truthful so I'm sure you saw something and then she said also I think I've seen it. Just once, speeding oh, wow. around a corner. So it was a very shy ghost um, in our in our the house where I grew up. Um, but yeah, what what strikes me about some of these is how both on one hand they're scary because it's like there's this unexplained thing that's happening and that's always scary, but they're also like delightful, like a ghost that folds laundry, uh, a dead friend who still visits you is something I think many of us want on some like you know, would mm-hmm. love to have. Um, and a, a ghost that wants to come to your lectures as a professor. Like, <laughs> everything about this is really, is like, it's it's both, it's it's on one hand, it's frightening. And in some cases, it's uh, annoying, like if they're noisy or, or disruptive. But there's also something really delightful about most of the ghosts that we're hearing about. Um, there is certainly a strong element of fun. And don't forget about skeletons. Uh, supposedly, uh, suppose it living in either closets in the United States or mm. in cupboards in Great Britain, and you just open your cupboard or your closet, and there is a skeleton there. Everybody's seen a skeleton, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that's interesting. There's a difference between, like in the U.S., it's it's the it's the closet, and in the U.K., it's a, it's a cupboard. And it's a cupboard, cupboard there, like a cupboard uh, which we know about, which we know from Mother Hubbard, who uh, <laughs> <laughs> opened the the cupboard, and there were all kinds of interesting things huh. happening there. Yes, uh, this idiom has two variants, one American and one British. Oh, fascinating. That's that's incredibly fascinating. Um, well, we have a little bit of time here. We have about three more minutes left. I just am curious, you know, to get the, the thoughts on from both of you about, um, you know, this time of year as we tell these stories, as people get ready to go out to parties tomorrow night on Halloween and perhaps will engage in these kinds of storytelling um, uh, 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 communities, right? I'm just curious what your um, what some of your final thoughts are on about this time of year, Halloween, and sharing these kinds of stories amongst people? Well, Halloween, as you know, means uh, Halloween, and in is evening, and that's the even, an evening for all witches to come out. And uh, this has been a tradition for centuries and centuries. We are almost on the eve of a new or a fresh winter, and when seasons change, at this time, there are all kinds of supernatural things happening. Whether it's equinox or, or winter approaching, uh, then all kinds of apparitions come and all kinds of things happen. So that's a good season. But I'm very happy that uh, we, especially those who have lived in Minnesota for a long time, we have a genetic fear of blizzards uh, on this day. Many years ago, <laughs> some of you may still remember it, uh, we had a mountain of snow on Halloween. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't remember how many inches, but every time when we're approaching Halloween, I'm, uh, I- I'm trying to think, only not like that. I remember those mountains of snow and thought, well, we may be very rational creatures, but nature can 
has its can have its revenge <laughs> and then we'll have snow well we'll have to leave it there thank you so much I want to thank our guest Amy Kritzer is an award winning author her novels Catfishing on Catnet and Chaos and Catnet are available online you can also find her on the internet and Professor Anatoly Lieberman is a professor at the University of Minnesota in the German Nordic Slavic and Dutch department this conversation was produced by myself and Alex Visapoli with help from Max Barber our director today is Matt Alvarez with technical direction by Jess Berg tomorrow is Carrie Miller with Rule Voices thanks for listening and if you celebrate, happy Halloween. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.